Start with a quick prayer. Jesus, thank you that we only have to read that gospel once a year. (laughs) Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. That was pathetic. Merry Christmas, everyone. There we go. All right. I think most of you know that I was on sabbatical for the past two and a half months. I was uh, studying, praying, reading, relaxing, all in view of renewal of my priesthood. And my, t- my time away was incredibly fruitful, but one thing that I became painfully aware of, and this, it kept coming back to me throughout those months in my prayer, was this passage from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, and my dear people, these words ring, maybe not even ring, but sting my heart. He said, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate the wicked. Moreover, you have endurance and have suffered for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have lost the love you had when you first came to love me. How often this happens in life. It happens in the priesthood. It happens in marriages. We forget that original love, that joy, that excitement that we had. And then life becomes mundane and a grind. And it's just one dang thing after another. I had a spiritual director one time. He told me the greatest enemy to a life of joy is a short-term memory. How quickly we forget what God has done for us. I am struck by how many people don't really seem to understand the basic message of Christmas, of our faith. Our religion is one of remembering, and if you take time to actually do it, you'll begin to understand the immensity of what Christianity is celebrating tonight. And I want to give you just a little bit of, little imagery to help you understand. Hopefully this helps you, it helped me. Imagine you and I are living in 1940 in France. To be exact, we're living in 1944. And since June of 1940, our country has been occupied by the Nazi regime. A demonic, psychopathic regime. Your life and mine have been completely redefined. We have no freedom. Our friends and family have been uprooted. Some have been executed. We don't even know if some are alive or where they are. Some have been sent to concentration camps, which we have only heard is the equivalent to hell on earth. We're starving, and no one seems to care. Then, June 7th, 1944, we pick up the newspaper for that day, and we read on the front page, and it says, Invasion. Allies land at Normandy. Hitler's seawall is breached. If that's what you and I read that newspaper in that morning, would we look at each other and say, huh, I wonder what else happened yesterday? Or would we not be overcome with joy and gratitude that somebody finally came? Somebody cared enough And thought that we were worth rescuing. Thousands, tens of thousands of people died. To save us. 
Why did those soldiers go to France? Was it to see the beaches in Normandy? Or maybe hopes of getting to the Louvre and seeing the Mona Lisa or trying that fabulous French cuisine? Why were they there? They were there to go to battle, to liberate and to rescue a people that was in the grip of a tyrant. And they were willing to give their lives for it. So why is he there? Why is he laying in the manger? Why did he become man? Why did he land, so to speak, the beaches of this earth? The answer to that question should be as apparent as to why the Allies landed in France. But sadly, to our people in this world, all Christians, it is not. Somehow, some way, we have taken Jesus and made him into a figure who came to teach us to be kind and to love. Somehow, some way, we have taken Jesus and made him into a figure in history who told stories and taught people in parables. Somehow, some way, Jesus has been reduced to someone who did miracles and fought with religious leaders. Now, to be clear, Jesus did do all this, but that is not why he came. God became man for the same reason the Allies landed at Normandy to fight to rescue, to liberate, and ultimately to die. To deliver us from the hands of a tyrant who is infinitely worse than Adolf Hitler. Europe woke up June 7, 1944, and everything was different. Because someone had come. The confidence, the joy, the hope that comes from knowing That the one who made everything thinks you and me, for some unknown reason, is worth saving, is worth rescuing. But what do we need to be rescued from? You see, way back in the beginning of our race, our first parents were deceived by a creature who himself was originally good. But out of envy, not of God, but of us, and God's love for us, he became evil. And those parents were deceived and unknowingly sold us into slavery to powers that we cannot contend with. Ours is a race of bondage. Bondage to sin, bondage to death, bondage to the devil. And my dear people, I wish, I wish I was making this up. I wish it was some myth, some fairy tale. But it's not. It's true. And unless you and I and our world wakes up to this truth, and starts to fight back, we'll not only destroy our country, we'll destroy each other. The proof of this whole thing that I'm talking about, I think, is pretty easy. Many of us, as I look out here, are mindful of what you've gone through in, the, in your lives, with your loved ones, me and my life with my loved ones in this past year. We are absolutely powerless in the face of death. You can fight all you want, but you and I, we're going into the ground one day. And there's nothing you can do to stop that. Such is the crushing power of death. And those of you that have lost someone know it. Or how about anyone here do things that they hate doing? That they don't want to do, but they do anyway? Am I alone in that? You ever wondered why you do it? 
The answer from a biblical perspective is that there is a power constantly trying to take control of you. And the more you give into it and live a life of vice, the more you become like it. And the more enslaved you become. All of our advances in technology and science cannot fix any of this. No matter how many laws we enact as a nation, we cannot make people good. I was watching, I don't know if you, Denzel Washington is becoming like my new favorite actor. <clears throat> I mean, now his movies are just amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of gratuitous violence, so be careful with that. But His interviews and his speeches, one of the things he said, this reporter came up to him during the George Floyd protests, and he said to Denzel, he said, do you think that race relations were better or worse because of President Obama's policies? Denzel Washington, on a dime, he said this. You can't legislate love. The President of the United States cannot legislate us to love each other. That's on you and me. He said, I'm a black man. You're a white man. We got to figure it out. Law's not going to do it. Politics isn't going to do it. The world isn't going to do it. But God can. That's the good news of today. And as the world piles on more and more and more of these materialistic solutions to this problem, people grow more and more restless. But we shouldn't. Because we have the answer. And the answer is that little baby lying asleep in the manger. Who came into this world and changed everything. First, death no longer has power over you and me. It has now been almost two years since my mother died. And I still miss her beyond words. And there is inside my heart an indescribable hole. And I know a lot of us here tonight have a similar hole. But the truth of Jesus Christ risen from the dead is that death doesn't have power over them. They're alive. And yes, we mourn and we miss. And those that no longer walk with us in this life but I can live my life confident that I'm going to see him again. Second, the grace to be free from the sin that binds you is now available. All of us walked in here tonight with habits that we can't stand about ourselves. And many of us feel stuck. Maybe it's anger, unforgiveness, lust. be a whole host of things. And I think many people say, I'm never going to be free of this. But here's the truth. You and I, through Christ, have the power to be done with it tonight. The grace of freedom is available. You don't belong to these sins. You don't have control over you. You belong to the one who redeemed you. The one who died for you. That's who you belong to. And so what should be our response tonight at Christmas Eve? I think our hearts should be so dang full of gratitude, you guys. What God has done, that that he's loved us enough to become one of us, to die for us. How did the people of Europe thank the allies when they came through the streets of France? They were screaming, throwing flowers at them. They were overwhelmed with joy because someone thought that they were worth fighting for. So how should you and I respond to the one who rescued us? 
I heard a great line when I was on sabbatical, and that line is this. Those who have been rescued, rescue. That's a great line. Those who have been rescued, rescue. And you and I have been rescued so that we can tell others about the one who saved us. We have been rescued so as to do our best to witness to others the difference that the Christ child has made in our lives. And we have been rescued so as to transform everything we can that is still in the grip of the devil. And so tonight we remember with hearts full of gratitude that God has done something. He became one of us. He rescued us because we matter to him. And now everything is different. Merry Christmas, everyone, and never, ever forget what that little child in the manger has done for you. It will change your life if you let it.